your Bibles are open. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, the ushers can put one in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, yep, we see that hand. Please do so, and we'll be glad to give you one. Uh, Luke chapter 11. I'm going to pick up with verse 14. We're re- reading verses 14 through 13. Luke chapter 11. Starting with verse 14, and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Lord, we just ask again for your spirit this morning to fall afresh on your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you've been saved any length of time, You've probably had this experience, maybe you haven't, but have you ever had someone question, really question your motives as a believer? Someone say, you know, I think, uh, I think you Christians, I think you guys are just a bunch of just hypocritical, um, you know, better than everybody else. Uh, you do these things just to kind of make sure that you look good. Now that's kind of a low end of the scale. You can have other accusations too, much stronger ones. Jesus here deals with an accusation and an opposition that he himself was from the forces of darkness. That's the kind of opposition that he's dealing with. And we deal with it too at different levels. You know, you can, you can get saved. And I remember uh, when, when um, we lived in Charlotte, uh, we, had a, we had a couple that were friends of ours, and I remember when he got saved, uh, he got radically saved. His, him and his wife had been kind of nominal, uh, I guess they attended Easter, Christmas, Catholics. And when he came to Christ, I mean, he, he was born again. His wife wanted no part of it, none. Divorced him over the whole thing. Just wanted no part of this new, here he was now really excited about the scriptures, excited about doing the work of the Lord, wanting to say, hey, we have a chance to bring living water to people. And she's like, no, no, no. I like the old guy, not the guy you've now become. The new guy you've now become. That light was seen as darkness. And when Jesus comes into a place, even though he comes with light and liberty and freedom and peace, his light, a lot of people do this to it. Don't they? I want to see it. Men love what? Darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. 
Not because there's a problem with the light, because there's a problem with the heart of man. And as believers, we've been on both sides of it. We once were those doing this to the light. We know what it's like to be Saul and then become Paul. We know what it's like to reject God and say, oh, I don't believe that. I don't think that's from God. So you really think, you, you really think that all this came from absolutely nothing. Snails invented themselves. Well, they didn't invent themselves, an amoeba did it. So amoebas did that. Yeah, well, it actually did. And it, it big bang, everything went like this is how it happened. And God says, no, no, this is what I'm having. This is what I tell you I did. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Even if Jesus, remember Jesus said, even to the, to the man that was in hell, he said, even if I send your dead brothers back alive, they won't believe it. Oh, of course they will. No, they won't. They won't. If they don't take the word that is among them, it's given by God, they won't take all the other supernatural manifestations that God could send. Because God could send anything. That doesn't mean people will believe it. Satan is opposed to the God. Satan is opposed to the gospel. Satan is opposed to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Christ, we'll deal with the same opposition. Maybe not to the same degree. Maybe not in the same way. God puts us all through different places and different uh, in a different circumstance in life, but there will be those times that we're going to face people saying, I don't want that, I don't agree with that, I don't believe that, and not only that, I think your motives are wrong, even when your motives are pure. Don't you hate it when you're accused of something when you actually have the right motives? You don't always have the right motives, but the time that you actually do have the right motives, someone thinks you don't. You're like, I think they just did that to show off. And you're like... Last week I did that, but this time it was real. But Jesus never did anything for wrong motives, did he? There was never a time when he did something that wasn't pure, that wasn't righteous, that wasn't needed. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Encountering Opposition. Encountering Opposition. We'll look at three things. Deliverance, defamation, and discernment. Deliverance, Defamation and discernment. Jesus comes to this man who's mute, can't speak. Now, anyone that's been in the anyone that's been around would have known for quite some time. This would have been common knowledge. Be like someone in your neighbor uh, neighborhood. We have a neighbor. Uh, we have a neighbor that um, we're friends with them uh, in our community, and they're deaf. We've known that. Matter of fact, we've prayed with them and, and prayed for them. And in and, uh, and, and the last couple of years, she had a surgery. So we would know if God did something supernatural because we've known the people personally. Well, the people around this area would have known that this individual was mute. Now, whether they knew definitively this person was possessed by a demon also tells us something about uh, the world we live in. There's probably things associated with the demonic activity we sometimes don't recognize as that. The medical community calls it one thing, and God may say, no, well, you're, you're partially correct. There is a serious problem here, but it's actually deeper than even medicine. And in this case, this individual was possessed by a demon, wasn't able to speak. Now, if someone's not able to speak, and all of a sudden they can speak, that's a pretty good sign that something miraculous has happened. 
And this wasn't the first miracle of Jesus. We know he has cast out demons. You know, the man of Gadara, uh, he was possessed by many demons, and Jesus cast not only them out, but he'd done many things that had gone before him. His works had gone before him. The witness of all that he had done had gone before him. He comes here. He casts out a demon. Now, the individual that receives this is elated. Remember that. When you got saved, I got saved there in Fort Lauderdale, 1995. I was excited. Of course, all my unsaved friends are going to be excited, right? No. You mean we're not, you're not going here with us anymore? No, I can't go there anymore. Well, at least you'll still play basketball with us, right? Yeah, I can do that. At least you'll still go surfing, right? Yeah, I can still do that. But after a while, even those things faded away. And one of those things didn't do, any, do with me either. And Jesus, for the person, though, that's been a recipient of the touch of God, they themselves, they have joy, don't they? Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us. Listen to this verse. I know you've probably heard it before, but let it sink in. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of of the son of his love. Everyone's looking for love. Even FarmersOnly.com now is looking for, you know, I, I didn't realize that uh, farmers need their own special site now. I'm glad Rich, you're already married here, so he, he's a farmer. Everyone's, everyone's looking for love. Everyone's looking for God's acceptance and forgiveness. Now, the problem is all the way back to the Garden of Eden, People wanted on their, Cain wanted God's love on his terms. That's not the way God operates. It comes on the terms of bowing the knee. I was going through uh, the scriptures with my daughters yesterday, and I showed them how in the book of Isaiah and in Philippians and in Romans, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess, but we have the opportunity, this man who's uh, demonically possessed, he knows, he's like, I'm in bondage. I'm under the power of darkness. I can't even speak. And Jesus comes along and says, I'll not only give you your speech, but I can forgive your sins. I can deliver you from the power of darkness. And hey, even though this community, they'd, they'd rather you, now he didn't say this, but here's what we know from the text, they'd rather you stay in bondage then me come around. Boy, that's a loving neighborhood, isn't it? What about this guy? You would rather him stay in bondage, but Jesus says, I'm going to set him free anyway, and I'll deal with the other folks and the consequences of me delivering you. And God, for all of us here, when God delivers you, you might have family members that don't like it. You might have people around that have an issue with it. Your new boss may not like your new faith, but don't worry about it. God will handle the circumstances around just like Jesus does here. Amen? D.L. Moody said, Looking at the wound of sin will never save anyone. What you must do is look at the remedy. This man needed a remedy, didn't he? He needed a remedy for his inability to speak. He needed a remedy for, he couldn't cast the demons out of himself. He needed Jesus himself to do it. And Jesus comes along in this beautiful picture, delivers this man. It should have been. What it should have been received, when we see that kind of deliverance, what do we know in the scriptures? When somebody gets saved, what does heaven do? 
Well, not just that. It's rejoicing. It's not a golf clap, right? Or Wimbledon. It is an eruption. When one sinner gets saved, one sinner gets saved, the town should have said, stop everything. A man that was possessed by demons is no longer possessed. A man that couldn't speak can now speak. But you know how they respond? Who is this guy? Invading our area. Trampling on our religious authority. Acting as if he has something better than us. Who does he think he is? We're pretty good ourselves already. We're already very righteous. We keep all the law. It wasn't a celebration of his deliverance. But it was a great deliverance, wasn't it? We, hopefully, will be seeing... We don't know not much about this man. Not, not every miracle Jesus did did the people actually surrender themselves to him. You realize that, right? I hope and pray that this guy did, and that we'll be seeing him in heaven. But the town should have been celebrating deliverance. And brothers and sisters, we should celebrate when people are delivered from sin. Don't make it, oh yeah, that, that's pretty good. We had people get saved here last year. That is what the whole ministry is about. It's the reason why we're here is to see people delivered. And not only then they're delivered, but that they become disciples. Well, Jesus, instead of actually having a time of celebrating and maybe even doing discipleship and growth, he doesn't do that here because he immediately deals with a level of opposition, some accusations that are as strong as have ever been recorded against him. If you're taking notes under defamation, they go on to say, instead of rejoice, some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Him and them are tight, they're saying. The demons listen to him because he's head of the demons. Quite an accusation, isn't it? You've got the Son of God willing to come and die for their sins. Of course, they don't know all this yet, although he has said it to the disciples. But they're accusing him of being demonic. That not only is the man demonic, he's been delivered, but only because Jesus himself is demonic as well. In the book of Genesis, you guys remember Joseph? He has, uh, he has some dreams, doesn't he? His brothers love hearing the truth of these dreams, don't they? No. They hated him for the dreams. But the dreams, were the dreams true or not true? They were true. The dreams were true. This isn't a lesson on how Joseph should or shouldn't have presented the dreams, but the fact is the dreams were true. And he simply told the, bro the other brothers these were the dreams. They hated him for it. Jesus, remember Joseph's dreams came from God. Joseph didn't make the dreams, the dreams came from God. Jesus was from God, he and his words were true, and nonetheless, he was hated for them, even though he's bringing them truth, even though he's bringing them the knowledge that they need, even though he's bringing them the wisdom that they need. His words were hated, especially hated, by those that claimed to be the most devoted to God. The religious. The most religious. Boy, if we know anything in our lifetime right now, 
people that are devoted to a religion can do some heinous things, can't they? Religion is never going to be the solution in the world, is it? Even if your religion is about the true and living God. Because if you don't actually obey, worship, and serve the true living God, exactly what he says, you can have the right name, but that's really not who you're worshiping. We talked about this on Wednesday night. That Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, these people worship me with their what? Lips, but their heart is far from me. Of course, that actually bothered them too, because they're like, we don't worship you. He's like, precisely, because you don't worship God. If you knew the Father, you'd know me. But they didn't know either. But yet they considered themselves devout and religious. Their hearts were far from him. They hated and despised the very one sent by the God that they said they liked to worship. Jesus was sent by the Father, sent by Yahweh. He was sent by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for their deliverance and everyone else's deliverance. For their deliverance. Why did Jesus weep over Jerusalem? He said, had you known in this your time that I had come, but you didn't see it. Instead, you fought against me. You railed against me. You came up with reasons and excuses of why you couldn't believe what I was doing and what I said. And instead of bowing and confessing my name, you, like they did here, you defamed my name, calling him Beelzebub. Aren't you glad that God is gracious, that you can actually get away with this and still go to heaven? Isn't that great? You could actually call Jesus the Lord of demons, and he still would have forgiven these men right then, if they would have repented. That's a really loving God, isn't it? You've heard the stories of the atheist shaking his fist. If you're God, strike me right now. Hey, I told you he's not. See, God, he is never moved by people's words and the moment and emotions. You can't really, you can't push God's buttons, can you? Jesus allows them to say it, but he's going to deal with it as well. See, what happens here, their conscience is really pricked. You know when someone's conscience is pricked, you can tell, can't you? They start, venom starts coming out. You're like, wow, I never, you ever seen a side of a person you've never seen before? You've all had this experience in work. Someone you always thought was the nicest person you'd ever meet, but something, something saw, caused you to see something in them you had never seen before. Whoa. I thought everything inside of you was sweetness, but that was not. <laughs> Where did that come from? Started calling people from the devil and all this. I mean, just these could have been really nice neighbors that started acting like this. Why? Because they were troubled that here's deep down, this is why people get all worked up around true born-again believers. They get convicted, and they know God's calling them too and they're going to have to surrender. And they don't want to surrender, because they've got a list of things that they love to do and love to manage themselves, and they don't want to list, turn that list over to God. And neither do the people here. They're saying, Jesus, 
this looks pretty amazing what you just did. But you probably want to root some things out of my life too. Maybe it's not a demon in the heart, but there may be greed, covetousness, immorality, and I don't want to give that stuff up, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you demonic. Now I feel better. Their conscience is pricked. In their hatred and resistance, they need an excuse for their response. They have to have an excuse for their response, so they accuse Jesus of having powers that were either false or demonic. Either one is a big problem. Regardless of what they've witnessed, regardless of the countless lives that Jesus has changed, Jesus' impeccable and, in fact, perfect character, his penetrating use of scriptures, and they assign all that to the occult. That's what they come up with. Very impressive, Jesus of Nazareth. You must be demonic. You must be in control of the demon horde, and that's how you're able to do these things. We feel better tonight when we decide to reject you because we feel like we're rejecting something false. The Bible has the a lot to say about self-deception, doesn't it? Romans chapter 1. Men self-deceive themselves. They believe a lie. They tell themselves the lie, believe the lie, even though the Lord is speaking to them, saying, no, no, this is my son in whom I have sent. Believe him, trust his words. No. We'll, we'll defame him instead. The name Beelzebub, it originally comes from Beelzebul. Beelzebul means Baal. You remember Baal in the Old Testament? Baal. Baal the prince. He was the chief god of the Philistine city of Ekron. The Israelites... They had a real disdain. The Israelites did not like the Philistines. Everyone knows that, right? And their disdain for Beelzebul, they changed the name to Beelzebub to call him Lord of the Flies. No one's ever liked flies, apparently, right? We still hate flies today. They didn't like them either because flies looked nasty. It looked like, you know, if you look at them up close, and they look like they probably came out of a pit. And then when you've seen them in the backyard, moving from things in the backyard onto your food, you really don't like it either, right? <laughs> and Israelites didn't like it either. So they, they associated the, the, the dirtiness. Remember, in the Jewish realm, everything kosher must be clean. Flies are the opposite of this, aren't they? And Satanism, or satanic occult, is the opposite too. It's full of filth. And so they associated Beelzebul as Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, Lord of Filth. Disgusting. This is the depth of what they're assigning to Jesus, folks. Lord of Filth. Disgust, you disgust us. We'd rather this man stay blind than you impact our lives. Jesus makes it clear that in them saying this, that they're really saying that he represents Satan. He says, if Satan is also divided. So when you say, Jesus said, if you're going to say, if you're going to say that I am Lord of the demons, that would make me Satan. Now, we know Jesus battled Satan in the wilderness. How many days? Forty days, right? Jesus and Satan are not on the same team. 
But that's what they're saying. He's like, if you're going to sign that, you're actually saying that Satan and me are on the same team. But my job as working for Satan or in alignment with him is to go and bust up Satan's work. That doesn't make sense. They are accusing him of being behind false gods, false religion, demonic activity, but in their intentionality or their ignorance. Hard to say, some people, by the way, really do this stuff in ignorance. They just kind of follow the crowd, and they start saying what other people are saying. So you will find people that actually their hearts are fairly soft. They might say some pretty offensive things, but actually I've witnessed to people that say some pretty offensive things, and they actually come around rather quickly because all they've ever done is they just mirror what they've heard. They don't even know why they say it. I'll ask, you can ask them a gentle question. That's a, I understand where, you, where you're coming from to some respect. Can I, can I ask you a couple of other questions? You find out, well, that's all I've ever known. Everyone says that uh, you know, Jesus is this, or everyone says the Bible is this, or everyone says, but they don't know themselves. But some are actually truly, they really are leaders of the rebellion, as we see with the ministry of Jesus, and it's intentional. But they've credited his compassionate deliverance with the work of Satan. And you and I can be certain of this. If Jesus, who is perfect and holy, if he was opposed and falsely accused in his life and his ministry, folks, we can expect some of the same, can't we? It's going to happen. All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. The scriptures say it. We'll all be the same. But there will be some measure of tangible opposition if we follow Christ. Could come in your own family, could come in the workplace, could come in your neighborhood, could come anywhere. And it sometimes, sadly, comes inside the house of God, doesn't it? People, even the scriptures say, some slip in unawares to oppose and tear down. That's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to tear down the ministry of Jesus. Make sure that they, all right, here's, we've had a bad day. Someone got delivered, and this might affect us all. But if we can sabotage the whole moment, we can put it to rest, and Jesus will move on from us. It's an interesting thing that the true followers of Christ, we actually continue to bring life and freedom in setting people free, but it's so despised. Our brother, Pastor, Pastor Saeed, sits in an Iranian prison right now. What was he there doing? Setting up orphanages. Setting up orphanages. You would think, if, if there's any decency and any other faith and religion and whatever else, that you could say, okay, he's setting up orphanages. No. What are they, what's the response to that? Throw them in prison. Orphanages. It doesn't matter there. It happens in communist countries. happens in uh, all kinds of places around the world where man rejects. God brings life to set people free, and Satan says, no, no, I want them in bondage. And there's ringleaders to oppose it and stop it and come against it. And it all comes from Satan himself. They're accusing Jesus of being with Satan. He's not, of course. There really is a Satan. And Jesus says, uh, or the scriptures say in Revelation 12, 10, one of the uh, um, descriptions of Satan is he's the accuser of the brethren. <laughs> Folks, even at the 
throne of God, he's accusing you and I constantly. He accuses us before the Father. He accuses us to each other. He brings people against us. He tries to turn the church against itself. He turns uh, all kinds of different organizations and governments and uh, false religions around the world against the work of Christ. There will always be this opposition, and they'll always call, you know, Christians will be called bigots, haters, narrow-minded, intolerant. Jesus would have dealt with all these kind of terms, wouldn't he? All of them. Isn't it ironic that people saying that are really these things? Extremely intolerant. Extreme, to the point they'll throw you in prison for actually starting orphanages. And hatred comes from hell and Satan. Love comes from... God says, remember the verse we read? To convey him into the love of the Son. Jesus loved the man. The response was hatred and opposition. Jesus said this also. When we're back in Luke chapter 6, I'll remind you. You don't have to turn there. But remember just a few chapters back, in case you've forgotten. Jesus said this, Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. When they exclude you. When they revile you and cast out your name as evil. Here it is. For the Son of Man's sake. Not because you're acting like a jerk. We're not ever to do that. But when it's for the Son of Man's sake, we're doing righteousness and it's called evil. Blessed are you. He goes on to say, woe to you when all men speak well of you. When all men speak well of you. I used to have a boss when I was in the business world. I don't, this philosophy has flaws, but he used to say this. If you're not making someone mad, you're probably doing your job wrong. You ever heard that? If you're not making somebody mad, you're probably doing your job wrong. Now, there is problems with that statement because you're, that's not the intent of the way you do your work. But nevertheless, the, the point was, if you're doing a really good job, it's probably going to make somebody uncomfortable who's not pulling their weight. You ever had some people around you that are not pulling their weight? And when you start pulling their weight, your weight, they start to sabotage. Well, in the Christian life, if you're really living for the Lord, you're really living for the Lord, it's going to cause some uncomfortability. Jesus said they're going to revile you for it. You'll, you'll deal with it. Joseph dealt with it. David dealt with it. Abraham dealt with it. Moses dealt with it. Paul dealt with it. Peter dealt with it. All of them dealt with it. Because if you're going to follow the Lord, it's going to bother somebody. J.C. Ryle said, laughter, ridicule, opposition, and persecution are often the only reward which Christ's followers will get from the world. Boy, that's true of our brothers and sisters around the world, isn't it? They can't. They don't, they don't have the same freedoms that we do. Yeah, we might have some, well, yeah, they didn't invite us to the block party. Right? Wow, you are quite a martyr. Me and you, wow, we survived that, right? But I'm just, I don't try to make light of it to the point where, you know, this isn't to belittle any of us. My point is that we have some level of opposition. Sometimes it's just to keep arms length. But then, then there's another level, which is purely hatred. Jesus is dealing with it here, and he'll deal with it far greater to the point that they'll endlessly do what to him? Put him on a Roman cross. This isn't done here. This will continue to play out until they finally have had enough of him, period. 
This is the beginnings of them continually assigning that he has to go. And this is what Satan wants to do with Christianity worldwide. He wants to get rid of it. He wants to stamp it out. Guess what? Good news, he can't. Jesus has already overcome the world, hasn't he? He's already overcome the world. But we're going to have to deal with some opposition. Some, rather than defame, if you look at the text, what takes place here, not everyone defames his name. Uh, some actually wanted a sign. Others, testing him, sought from a sign from heaven. Give us something, give us some sign from heaven. Some, rather than defame the name of Christ, and assign his works to Satan, will take another route. And of course, some here did. Uh, and this is a common route in rejecting Jesus. This is the common route out, plays out today. I need more proof. Doesn't everyone that you meet that's not saved yet needs more evidence? You can tell them your testimony. Say, look, I used to hate church. I used to hate to read the Bible. I used to hate to pray. I didn't do any of that stuff. I used to live for these things, and all of a sudden, God got a hold of me, and I did a 180. Is my testimony mean something? Say, well, I'm glad you found something that makes you feel better. Right? I'm glad you found something that floats your boat. I'm glad you found a crutch to lean on. That's their, many times the response. Some want more proof. In his case, they want something from the heavens. They don't want Jesus. All right, Jesus, Jesus, all right, all right. Some of them are calling, he's from demons, he's from Beelzebub, he's with Satan, he's of the occult, he's demonic. Others are saying, all right, all right, we'll hear you out. This is somewhat impressive, casting out demons. Show us something. Rearrange the constellations. Stop. Do something like we heard in the Old Testament where the sun stands still. Do something like we heard Elijah do, call fire down out of heaven. We want something in the heavenly realm, something we see out of the blue skies or the black skies or whatever it is. We want something of that magnitude. If we see you move something in the heavens, then we'll believe. Boy, this is never a way to get God's attention, is it? You cannot tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus said, he addressed this in Matthew 16, 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And Jesus says, no sign shall be given except by the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Jesus said, the only sign you will get and it's going to be greater than the constellation is my resurrection. But that's coming later. He will never say, you'll never be able to negotiate with God for revelation. You'll never be able to say, God, I'll believe you if. God says, believe me now, and then I'll show you what's on the other side of the mirror. Believe my words now. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have what? Believed. We had to believe by faith. And then we see, when we see it all, then we see, why, why do we even doubt these things? People still want far more proof and evidence in our day and age. They want far more proof and evidence than this. They need you to verify them. Say, well, how, how, how do I even know the Bible's true? You ha- how many times have you heard that one? I trust it, but how do I even know the Bible's true? It's a bunch of translations from 66 authors. And it translated 8 million times and blah, blah, blah. Have you really studied this, or where'd you pick this up? Blessed are those that have not seen yet believe. We've got uh, in um, some of you probably remember 
Remember that? Uh, maybe it's still around. Is that women's magazine Red Book still around? Uh, but it, I remember when I was a kid seeing it on the newsstands. In 1961, they published an article, and it says this, the starting beliefs of our future ministers. This is 1961. I was born in 1969. It's eight years before I was born. This article was published about the future ministers in the United States. It said, and included the results of a survey taken among several major U.S. denominational seminaries. And the questions were asked, and these were the answers as followed. Do you believe in the physical resurrection? 54% of future ministers in 1961 said no. 54% said no, I do not believe in the physical resurrection. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Christ? 56% no. Do you believe in a literal heaven and hell? 71% no. Do you believe in the deity of Christ? 89% no. Do you believe that man is separated from God by birth, the doctrine of depravity? 98% responded either no or they weren't concerned about this. Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? 99% no. Red Book Magazine, 1961, Future Ministers, Major Seminaries in the United States. Religious people don't receive the claims of Christ any more than the non-religious. And that's how, in the pulpits in America, unwittingly, and maybe sometimes on purpose, they're defaming the name of Christ. Right? They're not assigning to him power and deity, because in their hearts they don't believe that. And that's not everybody, but there's certainly a problem there. Let's look at this last point, discernment. Boy, we need discernment in the days in which we live, don't we? Jesus never lacked for discernment, did he? You know, it's, it's almost comical sometimes to see Jesus deal with human beings that think they're, they can outwit him. It really is. There's a part of me that looks back and say, this is going to be fun to watch, even though I already know how it goes. If you're going to assign something to Christ, be prepared for him. If he's, if he's at that moment, sometimes he's just said, look, I won't even answer the question. But if he decides to engage it, You'll be exposed. I'll be exposed, won't we? Our fig leaves aren't going to help us. And we need discernment, though, because there are a lot of things out there that when we deal with opposition, we need the discerning wisdom of the Lord of how we're supposed to handle it. Because we're not put on this earth to do things exactly like Jesus. He's the only one that came and did everything perfect and answered every question right. But we are called to reflect him. Amen? Called to reflect him. We need discernment. But in every situation, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he knew precisely what was going on. He actually knew what was going to happen before he got to town. He could have told everybody, here's how it's going to go down. When I go there, I'm going to cast out a demon. How's it going to go? Well, they're not going to be happy about it. Then they're going to accuse me of being Beelzebub. He's Lord of the Flies. I know, I know. It gets better. Some of them will want a sign from heaven. But he knows the thoughts of everyone. He knows the motives. He knows the intents. You as parents, you've known your kids long enough that you know, their, you, you know some of their thoughts and motives. They think you don't know that stuff. They think they can pull it over on you, right? And how much more Jesus? He literally knows every single depth of the heart. 
the men are pretending, these men are pretending to take spiritual high ground, i.e. They're, they're rejecting him because he's supposedly demonic or false. But if you're going to accuse God, you better be right. Amen? Best is just never to accuse him. Because we're never going to be right. He's going to be right. The response, the approach of Jesus, it quickly exposes their hypocrisy. He turns the premise back on them. If I'm with Satan, he says, but I'm coming and destroying his works, explain to me how that actually works out for him. You guys say I'm with Satan. I'm obliterating his work, and town after town after town, people are coming to me, people are being radically changed. Have you heard of the man of Gadara? I already mentioned him. He's now clothed and he's an evangelist hitting the cities of Decapolis. People are getting saved because of his. So everywhere I've gone, people are being healed, redeemed, saved. They're turning from dead works. But you guys think that I'm with Satan. So explain to me how Satan is helping himself by using me to destroy his works. Uh, well, uh, yeah, well... Um, Sounded like a good approach. And he makes this statement, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against itself falls. It's not just here, but his entire ministry, he's been defeating Satan and liberating people. So if he's working for Satan, it makes no sense that he would be destroying the kingdom that Satan has worked very hard to put in place. I mean, Satan's worked very hard to put people in bondage. While you and I are sleeping in the middle of the night, he's working round the clock to keep people in bondage. Matter of fact, some of his best work is in the middle of the night, isn't it? The darkness of night, there's all kinds of crimes and everything else. Satan never takes a minute off in stopping people, and Jesus is, is stopping the work. So Jesus says, it makes no sense that this... This would be dividing his successful strategy and employing bondage and sin and all these things. This house divided statement, though, there's a lot of wisdom in this statement for all of us, isn't there? There's more than a few. We don't have time this morning, but you can do several discipleship teachings from that statement alone. There's a lot of teaching, a lot of spiritual and scriptural direction in this little bit of text that's almost teachings within a teaching. It, it is. Matter of fact, that's true. Throughout the Bible, you actually have single verses that are of themselves a singular teaching, and then even from that, a tree or branches of teachings that Jesus could give us. But an entity, here's the point, any entity divided against itself is going to fail. This is what cancer does in the body, right? Cancer, the body is fighting the body. The cells are fighting the cells. Any entity against itself will collapse. Any two husband and wife against each other, guess what? Divorce. Kids against parents. Relationships that are broken for years. True? Even in sports, you've heard the term, the divided locker room. The divided locker room. There's a lot of division on the team. They're not performing well because any time an entity is divided against itself, there's going to be failure. And here's... Jesus also given a possibly, and I would say likely, a subtle reminder to Israel, remember your house was divided, and what happened? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, bondage, bondage, destruction. You became divided, 
because you did not stay united under the Lord your God. You divide it, say, well, northern kingdom, we're going to do it our way. Southern kingdom, we're going to do it our way. Guess what? You're now under Roman authority, every, bit of, uh, every single square mile of you. You're under the Roman iron fist. Abraham Lincoln, in June 16, 1858, made this speech, and you, this is just a piece of it. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will either become all one thing or all the other. Boy, that was wisdom, wasn't it? He said, we won't stay this way. And folks, even in America, we are one divided nation. It is one divided nation. The only remedy for our divisiveness is to become all repentant. Amen? It'll either become all repentant or all fall away. I think he's right. It becomes one or the other. And God's not a God of middle ground anyway. Remember what he wrote in Revelation 3? He does not look lukewarm. He's not a middle ground God. It's full repentance and in our nation, in our families, and in the church. And in the church, we have to remember, brothers and sisters, we're a family. We have to remember who our real enemy is. It's not each other. Is it? It's not each other. Even denominational things like that. You know, people divided against each other are not only going to fall, but we cause the world around us to look and say, you guys aren't transformed by the power of Christ. You're the same as we are. Isn't that what the world thinks when they see a church divided? Families divided, brothers and sisters divided. They look at it and say, you're no different than us. You hold the same grudges. You do the same gossip, same backbiting, same accusations. The world looks at that, and it's a really bad testimony. So we can't be a house divided in the body of Christ at Calvary Chapel Richmond. That's why I gather with pastors from other churches around the city, that we want to be knitted together at least in the body of Christ. We don't have all the exact same... uh, Convictions on everything, but we're one in the Lord. What this all comes down to, though, that's, that was a little sidebar. That was an extra. Because this whole house divided thing is its own teaching. What Jesus, the whole text, matter of fact, in my Bible, the, the premise of this text is really not, my Bible says a house divided cannot stand. That's, to me, that's, Jesus uses that point to make a point, but the essence of the text is about opposition. It's about Jesus, wherever he takes you, you're going to deal with the same type of opposition. Might not be, you, no one may ever call you Beelzebub or son of Beelzebub or lord of Beelzebub or whatever it is. You may never be called that, but you're going to get called some other things that aren't always pleasant. At minimum, goody two-shoes or whatever else. We're going to deal with opposition, but what it comes down to, in this case for Jesus, the accusations It comes down to authentic versus fraudulent. Everything Jesus has done is authentic. He actually exposes some deeper matters here. What does he say? He says, if I cast out the, this whole house of against stuff, so first of all, your premise doesn't hold up. If I'm working with Satan, Satan better fire me quick. Some employees can ruin a company. If Jesus is, Jesus is saying, if I'm working with Satan, 
he's going to lose quick because I'm liberating people right and left. Second problem is, if what I'm doing is genuine, what does that say about what you're doing? That's the second problem. He said, I really am casting out demons, and I don't need you to verify it. But you guys say you cast out demons. Hmm. You reject me, and I'm the only power and authority over the demonic world because I created the universe. I say go, and they go. They Remember at Gadara, they were petrified. Jesus, do not torment us yet. Right? Jesus says, I have full control over the whole universe. I'm the only one that can tell the demonic realm where to go. But you guys are telling the people that you have that power. So if you do, where are you getting it? Because you're not getting it from me. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you've been pulling the wool over everyone's eyes as if you guys have this power and you don't. And I actually do. And he mentions the finger of God. What did the finger of God do in the Old Testament? It wrote the Ten Commandments. He's like, those Ten Commandments are going to be over you. Your own hypocrisy will be your judge. Your false exorcism. Moses, when he dealt with, um, uh, when he went to Pharaoh, remember that the magicians were able to fake the same miracles until Moses' snake ate their snake? Well, that pretty much ended it. And then he grabbed the staff back. And everyone was like, well, I, well, that was interesting. I guess our powers have severe limitations. Right? And so don't believe every time you hear such and so religionists do it performing an exorcism. No. The only one that can really cast out demons is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a lot of fake there's a lot of false, there's a lot of phony, and Jesus is exposing that you guys have a reputation as having power over the demonic realm. And because I come along and actually have that power, you want to sign me with it, when the reality is, I want to know where your power comes from, because that didn't come from me. <coughs> he turns the tables on them. In our world today, there's a lot of false motives. There's a lot of uh, religious hypocrisy. There's a lot of compelling reasons why they're attacking Christianity. You know, Islam today claims to be authentic and true. Claims to be authentic. Jesus, there's only, either Jesus is true and everyone else is a liar, or everything's true. You know what I mean. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but what? By me. Period. There's no other God. There's no other religions. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Mao Zedong, whatever you want to believe in, Joseph Stalin, whatever your ideology or anything else, Jesus is the only way anyone can be delivered. And then you see claims of other religions. You have radical jihadists killing people in the name of righteousness. Re realize they're killing people in the name of righteousness and purity. They accuse Christians of evil, of poison. Communists have suppressed and killed in the name of the greater good of society at large. Right? All of these things. And they 
will purport to be, these are good, these are noble. But when Jesus comes, we see the authentic, good, noble, pure. One of my greatest answers to people of other faiths, I've worked, and when I was in the business world, I worked with Muslims, I worked with Jewish people, I worked with Hindus, I worked with atheists, and I had good relationships with many of them. Matter of fact, almost all of them. Some of them I had long conversations with, two, three-hour conversations about their faith and my faith in Christ, and what I would always put to them, especially the ones that were, that were very, very devoted to their faith, I said, here's what it comes down to, bro. This is the founder of your faith, did he die for your sins? Uh, no. We don't, believe that, we don't believe that that would be even something a, a great God would do. And you're still dead in your sins. Jesus is the only one that actually came in purity, but also was willing to lay down his life. The very people that were defaming him, the very people that were coming against him, he turns the tables on him. He says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He says that um, when he talks about verse 21 and 22, he's talking about that he's come and he's disarmed Satan. He's disarmed the false notions. He's disarmed all of the things that people self-deceive themselves into believing. He's like, and it comes down to, will you either be with me or are you still going to stand against me? That's what it comes down to. Four things, it's just four little points for you to remember if you're taking notes. If you can take away from this. Four things. We're always going to deal with opposition in the Christian life. Jesus gives to me a sketch on how to deal with it. I want to wrap up with this. Number one. When you're dealing with opposition, remain calm. Did you notice Jesus remains very calm in all this? Remain calm, rest in the Lord, and he'll show you how to respond. Why is that important? Because you don't, rep- you don't respond emotionally as if you're being attacked, and even, even you are. And you need the Holy Spirit because you're not going to respond the same way every single time. That makes sense? You're not going to respond the same way every single time. Like I said, some people will say something really offensive and they're really just repeating something they heard and they, they can actually be turned with a soft answer. Sometimes the Lord will give a stiffer arm. You need the Holy Spirit to know when to do what. But remain calm and wait on the Lord and how to respond. Number two, stand firm in the Lord and lovingly speak the truth. Jesus didn't shy away from the truth. He told them, I am the truth. I'm the finger of God. I really am the one casting out demons. You guys, your power is non-existent and it's fraudulent. Now sometimes God will have us be very direct. But you still have to speak the truth in love. You still have to speak it in love. Number three, leave the results to God. Well, what if they don't agree with all this? You're not responsible to make them agree with it. Any more than Noah is responsible to convince the world to get on the boat. Right? He was simply to tell them, get on the boat. Repent. It's not your wisdom they reject. 
It's Jesus. So leave the results to God, number three. And number four, be confident that you're reflecting Christ and you're standing with him. He who is with me. Isn't that great to know? Just be confident that, Lord, even if everything else fails, I'm on the winning side. Amen? That's what it comes down to, folks. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. Lord, we know that opposition is all around us from the enemy. And yet, Lord, we know that you've given us the victory. You've called us to be overcomers. And Lord, we also want to be patient in enduring these things because some of the very people accusing you, like Saul, can come to be Paul if we would stand firm, lovingly share your truth, ensuring the results to you, and confident, Lord, that we stand with you. For, Lord, you didn't look at these men with anger, but with compassion that their hearts would be turned and softened, that they too would be delivered just as you delivered this man from demons. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, as you've delivered us, we would be those that would be sent out to bring deliverance to others. It's your name that we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.